From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. When the New South Wales National Party threatened to break up the state's coalition over the issue of koalas, many were mystified. But behind the political fireworks lies a story about a party being squeezed from both the right and the left and running out of places to turn. Today, national correspondent for the Saturday paper, Mike Seckham, on the Nationals' fight for survival. Mike, a couple of weeks ago, the New South Wales government seemed to implode over, of all things, koalas. So what happened there and and what has the fallout been? Well, Koala Gate, as it's been imaginatively called, began with with the simple fact that new information appeared showing that koalas were in danger of extinction in New South Wales. So um, the consequence of that was that some changes were made to the state's planning policy to offer greater protection to their habitat. And, And this did a variety of things. You know, it increased the number of tree species that can be used to identify koala habitat from 10 to 123. It imposed some not very onerous restrictions on land clearing and development. And those changes came into effect on March 1, with no objection at that stage from the Nationals or their leader, John Barillaro. The Nats were on board with it at that point. But then in May, the Shooters, Fishers and Farmers Party gave notice of an intention to bring forward a bill to wind back some aspects of those changes. That move just kindled a fire under the Nationals. Deputy Premier John Barillaro and his National Party colleagues declare mutiny Uh, There is uh, said to be some significant discontent within Nationals ranks about the way this issue has been handled. and This is a capitulation that no one expected. Uh, And from there, you know, things escalated very fast. The National Party will not attend joint party room. The Liberals offered some negotiation, but the Nats, instead of negotiating quietly behind the scenes, instead just went to the nuclear option and threatened to bust the coalition. We will no longer be attending any parliamentary leadership meetings. Uh, That is at the heart of what we're saying. Furthermore... You know, first a couple of individual members did it, said they would go to the crossbench, and then um, the the party leader, John Barillaro, threatened to take the whole bunch of them out to the crossbench. We are also in agreement from the party room uh, that we will be abstaining from supporting any government legislation or bills, but we reserve... So he made that threat, and then within one day, the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, called his bluff. Could be wrong. The Premier issuing an ultimatum late this afternoon, saying he and his colleagues have until 9am tomorrow to indicate to me whether they wish to remain in my Cabinet or else sit on the crossbench. And they didn't do it. So it was a humiliating backdown for Barillaro. Barillaro subsequently announced he was taking four weeks off on mental health leave. So, you know, it was a it was a shambles for the Nationals Party. And it shows, frankly, just how rattled they are by the inroads that the shooters, the SFF for short, are making into their heartland. So this was the precipitating factor. But the reality is this crisis in the Nationals has been brewing for a long time and it's entirely likely the crisis will continue, whatever happens in relation to koala habitat or Barillaro's leadership, and it will affect the Federal Party as well as the New South Wales Party. And that problem is that the ground is moving under the minor coalition partner. How exactly is is the ground moving under the Nationals, Mike? What 
are they so worried about that's led them to take these fairly extreme actions, like threatening to blow up the coalition? Well, well, it, I mean, it goes to the essence of politics, you know, which is about winning seats. And the Nationals are not winning seats. They're losing them. They're losing them to the, the SFF in the state's west. And they've now lost three. The first to go was, was the seat of Orange, which um, fell at a by-election in November 2016. And, you know, that one was a unique circumstance, uh, largely due to the Liberal Party leadership's failure to appreciate the attachment of regional voters to greyhound racing. You know, further to the west, the biggest seat in New South Wales, which is Barwon, which had been held by the Nationals and their predecessors, the Country Party, for almost 70 years, that fell at last year's election. The SFF took it easily. The second biggest electorate, Murray, which is just to the south of, of Barwon, that also fell to the SFF. So, you know, collectively, these three seats stretch all the way from the Queensland border in the north to the Victorian border in the south, from the South Australian border, halfway across New South Wales. It's a big, big area of National Party heartland that has gone. Mm, so you can see why that would be cause for concern for the Nationals, but it isn't just the shooters who are taking seats from the Nationals, right? There are others as well? Oh, that's right. They're under assault from all sides. Along the, the northern New South Wales coast, there's a string of Nationals Party seats as well. And if we look at them, if we take Ballina, for example, on the, on the north coast, there's been a big influx of sea changes and tree changes up there in recent years who are not traditional National Party voters. In the 2015 election, the party's primary vote plunged, it crashed, and they lost the seat to the Greens. And in last year's election, the Greens increased their majority, so it's now looking pretty secure for them. Just to the west of Ballina, there's another seat, Lismore, also undergoing big demographic shift, and, and there also the Nationals' vote crashed almost 20 points between 2011 and 2015. They just managed to hold on in the 2015 election but then at last year's election, their support fell further and, um, and Labor picked up the seat. In that part of the state, they're, they're under assault from the left. And it's a similar story in a number of other seats across the region. You know, this is a very ominous trend. These voters in that part of the state are moving more and more to progressive parties. Now, at this point, I should point out that there was one seat that bucked the trend through all of this, and that's Port Macquarie, which is on the mid-north coast. And the local member there is a woman by the name of Leslie Williams. Every decision I make, every action I take is about the people of the Port Macquarie electorate. I need to do whatever I can. And she actually increased her vote over the past three elections. Unfortunately for the Nationals, though, she spectacularly flamed out and quit the party after Koala Gate and joined the Liberals. The last week uh, cemented for me that uh, this was not the party that I had joined almost 15 years ago. Um, so much has and she went out, you know, all guns blazing. She blasted the, her former party and Barilaro in particular for trying to, quote, hold the Premier and the government to ransom during this COVID-19 pandemic. I just thought it was really a, a ridiculous move to put that great government into jeopardy, which is what we saw in the last couple of weeks. They're losing seats. They're losing them to the shooters. They're losing them to the Greens, Labor. And, and now they've lost one to the Liberals. So, you know, they're losing them literally left, right and centre. We'll be back after this. The City of London in Andrew O'Hagan's latest novel is crumbling. 
But don't mistake this for pessimism. Instead, the author insists it's a necessary process for a better future. Change doesn't just happen because it's time for a change. Change has to be forced. We live in the end not in countries that are settled places. They're just imagined communities. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew O'Hagan to discuss his latest, Caledonian Road. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Mike, the Nationals are, are bleeding votes to both the right and the left, which is putting them under considerable political pressure. Um, we know the issue of, of koala habitat was a flashpoint uh, for their most recent crisis, but what are the major policy issues that are underpinning this fall in, in popularity that they're experiencing? Well, there's a few. I spoke with Helen Dalton, who's a farmer and a teacher and a self-professed environmentalist who's now the, the Shooters member for Murray. And in 2019, she ran hard for the SFF on two major issues. Well, I was voted in um, really on the, on the back of water. One was water management and the other was, was health in particular and provision of services in general. On the waterfront, farmers in her electorate it's down the bottom of the Murray-Darling Basin system. And they're absolutely furious about the way the nationals, state and federal nationals, have corrupted the allocation of water resources. And Dalton says the party is in the pocket of the big irrigators up in the northern part of the Murray-Darling Basin who are taking too much water, and that's parched the south. It's all being sucked out by these big cotton growers, basically, and her people can't get enough water allocation. The water issue is one where they have just dropped completely dropped the ball on that. Mm. And, and, um... On the health issue, she points out that the suicide rate in the Murrumbidgee region is the highest in New South Wales. Um, or declining health services. It's a, a really big issue for us. And, of course, um, that's on the back of um, uh, a very, very high suicide rate that we have in the Murrumbidgee region. In her view, and I might add in the view of a lot of, of other constituents... Both state and federally, the nationals are now agents of multinational agribusiness, fossil fuel companies. In the northeast, I think there's concern about um, their links with property developers, not the traditional national party base. My electorate was in um, the hands of the National Party for 35 years, and they were almost getting an increased um, majority every time that we went to an election and absolutely delivering nothing. Mm. And I just thought, no, I've had enough of this. Absolute rot. um... Right. And is that happening? Have the Nationals sided with big business over farmers on on any specific issues? Well, Dalton pointed me to an interview that the federal Nationals leader, Michael McCormack, did on on the 10 Networks, the project last year, where the co-host, Waleed Ali, asked Michael McCormack when the party had sided with farmers over miners. Can you point me to a big policy area where that balance has been struck in favour of farmers rather than miners? Um, well, not not straight off the top of my head, but, I mean, you know, you, you look at, uh, well, native vegetation laws. I mean, so um, that's pretty damning, and that was noticed by a lot of people in the bush, I think. 
And you can see the consequence of that in these seats that keep falling, but also in some remarkable alliances that we've been noticing in the parliament between what you might think of as as traditional enemies, you know, like the shooters and the greens. The shooters have found common cause with the progressive side of politics on a couple of these issues, you know, on water, where they're looking after the interests of farmers and the greens are concerned about the environment, but that coincides. And, you know, also on, on gas and mining for similar reasons. Right. And I suppose all of this goes to show that so-called Koala Gate was really just the latest issue where the Nationals were trying to claw back some of their base. And once that blew up for them, the party's New South Wales leader, John Barillaro, he took mental health leave. So can you tell me a little bit more about him and his role in all of this? John Barillaro has a long history of courting controversy, and he's widely seen as a stunt merchant. You know, when you're the junior coalition partner, let's be honest, it's hard to get noticed. So to cite a couple, you know, back in December 2017, Barillaro grabbed some headlines by calling for Malcolm Turnbull to resign from the leadership as his, quote, Christmas gift to Australians. Well, my my view is Turnbull should give Australians a Christmas gift and and go before Christmas. There you are. During last year's Black Summer bushfires, Barillaro railed against those who suggested that climate change might have something to do with it. And that included, I might add, his Liberal Party colleague and Environment Minister, Matt Keane. But I'm not going to allow other ministers to push forward green ideology that attacks my base, attacks my communities and attacks the regions. And therefore, yes, it does put stress on... And then, of course, the most egregious example of all of, of his divisiveness came in May this year when the Labor member for the federal seat of Eden Monero, Mike Kelly, announced he was quitting politics. And Barillaro and a Liberal Party state member, Andrew Constance, both announced that they intended to run in the ensuing by-election. A very ugly fight developed. Sometimes in this game you let ego get in the way of good decisions and I've got to make the best decision for me, my family. And, you know, he yesterday chose not to run. Um, So on that basis, uh, I am putting myself forward for Liberal Party. And in the end, both of them were damaged and pulled out. And then subsequent to that, Barillaro was quoted using obscenities to describe Constance. And worse than that even, a series of text messages came to light from Barillaro to Michael McCormack, the federal leader, just laying into him. And to quote them... You know, your lack of public enthusiasm or support for my candidacy went a long way to my final decision, he said to McCormack. To feel threatened by me clearly shows that you have failed your team and failed as leader. You will never be acknowledged by me as our leader. Mm. Mike, all of this, the the infighting, the tight political bind that the Nationals are, are being pinned into, their alliances with big business and, and the combative style of Barillaro, what does it all mean for their future? Well, the, the first thing to note is that the resignations just keep piling up. I mean, Troy Grant, Barillaro's predecessor, he privately blames Barillaro for white-handing his leadership and driving him out. Um, the former deputy leader, Niall Blair, also fell out with Barillaro and has left politics and left the party. Leslie Williams, who we mentioned, who's quit to join the Liberals, was, was one of their few success stories at a state level. Last week, Jess... Price Purnell, a former member of the executive of the Young Nationals, chair of the party's New South Wales Women's Council, she she pulled the pin. And the thing is, Price Purnell, young, intelligent woman, she was pro-marriage equality, 
She believes there's such a thing as climate change. She's the sort of person who, one might argue, the nationals really need, and she's gone. So, you know, the Nats are in diabolical strife. They're losing votes, they're losing seats, they're losing members, and the sort of people they're losing are are very much the kind of people that, that they need if they want the party to regenerate. So if they don't figure out what they actually stand for, then there's a real risk that they'll just become politically irrelevant and others will fill the void. And, you know, ultimately, I know it's been predicted before for the Nationals, but it looks more serious this time, you know, electoral oblivion. Mike, thanks so much for talking to me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. Subscribe now at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. Also in the news today, the Prime Minister has said health officials are considering allowing people entering Australia from some countries to quarantine at home. Scott Morrison listed people coming from Japan and South Korea, as well as countries in the Pacific, as those that could potentially avoid hotel quarantine. And Victoria recorded 10 new coronavirus cases and seven deaths yesterday. Meanwhile, New South Wales has now gone four days without a local case, though has recorded two cases in hotel quarantine. The national COVID-19 death toll is now at 882. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.